Hello and welcome to the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast. In this second season of the show, host Jordan Guth is joined by a new guest each episode who knows something about hi-fi that Jordan doesn't. And who knows, while he's learning about all of this, you might learn something too. So with no further ado, here's Jordan and this week's guest. Hello and welcome to the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast. Today we're here with Gary Yukubian and Nick Brown. Uh, Gary is the president and Nick is the vice president of marketing at SVS. Gary, did I pronounce your last name correctly? It was really close, Jordan. Let's let it go. Oh, okay. Close. By the end I, of this, I I'll get it right. I mostly go by Gary anyway, so it's all good. Okay. So we'll just leave it at Gary and Nick for the rest of the episode. Maybe I'll try again at the end. Um, but welcome, gentlemen. Uh, SBS is a company that I've seen uh, quite a bit over the last few years, and I've heard a couple of the subs and uh, I believe the pro wireless speakers. I guess to get started, I'm kind of curious about, actually, maybe before we talk about the company, SBS, let's talk about both of you individually. So Gary, Nick, how did you guys get into audio? How do you guys get into hi-fi? Well, Gary, I'd, I'll go first if uh, if you don't mind. You know, my my story starts in college. Well, actually, even before college, uh, where my folks had one of those typical two channel stereo with the the dual tape decks, the record player on top, uh, the you know AM FM tuner with the little uh, adjustments that you could make to treble and bass. And so, you know, I would just have fun playing with that. And they had a pretty extensive vinyl collection, so there was a lot of Willie Nelson, Jim Croce, uh, classic rock playing in my house. And then when I got to college. Um, my roommate and I stumbled across one of those white vans, those notorious white vans that would sell those big, I guess they were like PA speakers. And we thought we were, you know, king of campus because we had these speakers that were supposedly, you know, 900 to $1,500 a pair that we were scoring for about $200 a piece. Uh, so we put them in and I mean, they were pretty much all mid range, uh, but we would crank music. And, uh, and that was sort of my first foray into what I guess you could call hi-fi. Uh, and then coming out of school, you know, still carried that music appreciation and ultimately ended up working for a PR agency that represented a number of uh, great brands, including Martin Logan and Krell, Paradigm, a, a bunch of others and then ultimately SVS. And uh, of all the clients I ever worked for, I just saw the vision that SVS had. I saw how well put together they were from an operational standpoint, um, you know, top to bottom. Everything there was just managed in a way that I was like, I could see myself working for them. And that was about 10, 12 years ago. I started with, uh, with SVS and uh, it's been a dream ever since. So that's sort of my path to where we are today. And Gary, how about you? How did you get into Hi-Fi originally? How am I going to top that story? What a good story. <laughs> I mean, that, that's awesome. Um, no, you know, I, I think uh, uh, I, I come from a musical family. Uh, it's not that unusual. I think m many of the people who are in our space are, are either frustrated musicians or music enthusiasts. Or I think in Nick's case, Nick is a music guy, but he's also a movie guy. And, and uh, um, I'm the same. You know, I, uh, my, when I was before I could read, I was picking albums out by the cover art and, and playing them. And, uh, you know, I, I grew into that guy that, you know, we, I, we probably all are at this point that your friends call you up and sit and ask for recommendations on what they should get. And, uh, you know, from there, I, I got into uh, specialty uh, audio retailing and then moved to uh, um, manufacturing. My first um, job in manufacturing was with Monster and Beats. And so oh, that no was way. a really fascinating journey. Um, you can say what you want to say about Beats. But they entered the headphone category, uh, which was 
the dominant headphone price point was free with your phone. Yeah. And they entered that category um, at $300. And whether you want to say, well, it was celebrity marketing or it was this or it was that, the reality was uh, they brought a whole bunch of new people to the idea of great sound. And we saw this possibility um, uh, when we um, crafted the version of SVS that you guys are experiencing today. We, we thought, hey, there's a whole bunch of people. They're your age, Jordan. They're younger. Yeah. They're not my age necessarily. <laughs> and um, they, they love great sound. They go to EDM events or they go to concerts or they experience immersive sound in other ways. But, but there was no one talking to them about they could have immersive, wonderful, convincing sound in their living space. So that was SVS's mission. And that's where, uh, that's probably what's brought me here today. And I think that was very, by the way, appealing to Nick that idea of um, showing new people the idea that they can have amazing sound in their living space. That's awesome. And this is going to be a, a very quick side note, but on the subject of beats, I actually was listening to uh, the Audio Unleashed podcast with Dennis Berger and Brent Butterworth. And Brent was talking about some of the history of beats. And it was really interesting because essentially he's going at it from the appreciation of like the, I think it was the OEM or ODM or whatever it was, who basically created a market for these expensive headphones when everything else was like rock bottom declining. So I, I think that's a really, it's a tangent. I'll say that, but it's a really interesting story uh, in and of itself. Well, if you want to take it to a philosophical place and, and this may be a bit of a controversial statement, I believe a lot of the audio industry the, is premised on on the belief that most people don't care about great sound. And so for that reason, we have to target a very narrow band of humanity, the quote unquote audiophiles. And um, uh, I think Beats sort of, you know, for whatever it's worth, whether you say they were amazing headphones or they weren't, they engaged a whole vast swath of humanity in the idea that there is better sound than what comes free with your phone. And, you know, I, I think that's an extremely important, you know, moment in time when that happened. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely incredible. Now, I'm going to switch a little bit to SVS because I don't really know a lot about how SVS came to be. I, I know you guys were founded in, uh, in the United States. You're based in the United States in Ohio. But what's kind of that story? Like, how did SVS get created? What was the problem it was looking to solve? Well, before I got to SVS, I got to SVS uh, about 12 years ago. Nick came a little after that. Um, I would say that the original people that were there felt that quote unquote retail, quote unquote speaker branded subwoofers, they were strictly a subwoofer company at that time, were overpriced and underperforming. And they created a narrative that, um, hey, we're going to build these really amazing subwoofers in essentially a garage and sell them direct to people, cut out the, the uh, middleman, you know, the old story, yeah. and um, bring uh, extreme bass experiences to uh, price ranges where they weren't available before. Um, the downside of all that was the um, two things, I think, number one, and probably it all comes back to one thing. They weren't really business people. They weren't really knowledgeable about how to create something that they that could last um and they also had a very limited belief in what a subwoofer can be they they really wanted uh 
to make massive ported subwoofers that were the size of a small coffin. And, um, and they definitely had a very cult-like following and high performance, but it was very limited and it was literally out of someone's garage. Um, at a certain point, they reached, uh, I think, uh, they, they really reached the end of their road. They knew it. And uh, I bought the company with two partners. But we really maintained that vision of bringing extreme reference performance to price ranges where it, it's never been available before. We tried to broad, you know, we, you know, we had only subwoofers when we started. We tried to broaden that out to uh, form factors that would work in more people's rooms. And we got very good at making uh, compact subwoofers that could outperform those massive coffin-sized ones, or at least uh, have nearly as much output, but with more detail and accuracy and speed and transients. Uh, and then we layered onto that uh, a similar vision to speakers, high performance, convincing, um, immersive sound from speakers, whether used for home theater or two-channel, um, and just bringing performance that wasn't normally available in the price ranges where we lived. Now, bringing Nick into this conversation a little bit, I am kind of curious about the the approach of going direct to customers. And if, like I'm seeing a lot of companies nowadays, companies that were typically uh, based on the distributor model and whatever, starting to have their own websites where they have direct sales and, and all that. Um, I, I guess, generally speaking, do you think direct to customers is getting you the same audience? Or is it a completely different audience than if you were to go to the distributor model? Well, just for the record, and then I will pass it to Nick. Yeah. Something like three quarters of our business is through partners at this point. So okay. We do have, we do have a direct business. Um, and that is one of the ways we created a, a, so much energy around the brand. But we're also in the premier audio retailers all over the country and the world. And I can pass that to Nick because he's very, uh, very in touch with that. Yeah, I think there's always going to be some level of crossover between the, uh, you know, customers who are shopping online versus going into these retail, you know, some people need to hear something in person. And part of what we're trying to do is cultivate a total ownership experience, whether you're going into one of these retailers, or you want to take advantage of, you know, the 45 day in-home trial that we offer. And that's part of where we've tried to differentiate, you know, starting with that direct model is to create that total ownership experience of, you know, you're not having that um, fear of buying or any sort of buyer's remorse when you do ultimately pull the trigger. There's a lot of policies that we maintain that are meant to be super customer facing. And that's part of how we've grown the direct business. But also we've encouraged our partners to to follow suit and you know we we've really made it available to pretty much everyone in all 50 states and now close to uh i guess 70 countries maybe more oh, wow. uh by last count so you know it's 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 a different customer in the sense that you know certain people are loyal to to retailers but when a lot of these folks have had people coming in clamoring for SVS for for many years now, it's like people won't stop asking me for your subwoofers. Like sometimes it's begrudgingly, but I would say for the most part, they understand the energy we're bringing to this space. They understand that we're trying to bring uh, younger, more diverse audiences to the high performance audio space. And so there's a real appreciation for that. And, you know, Cedia this year was definitely one of the, uh, 
the crowning moments I think of of my career and seeing just the kind of energy that uh, we were able to bring to that show and and sort of leverage off of. So, um, you know, they're all sort of intertwined, but we look at it as we're going to fight for our brand. We're not competing necessarily with the brands on the floor at CES or Cedia. We're competing with the people like Gary said, who haven't done the math that they can have these experiences in their home. And that's really the challenge we put to ourselves is what can we do to raise the bar and, and elevate uh, so more people aspire to want to own you know, great audio products. Now, would you say that the primary focus is still on subs? I, I know you guys have a great range of, of speakers and now some different electronics and, and some different accessories, but is the primary um, kind of focus behind the brand on the subwoofer experience? Definitely not. I mean, but what I would say is um, we're very uncontroversially the number one subwoofer brand in the world. Um, we're not the number one speaker brand in the world. We don't claim that, but we are in the top seven. Um, and that to me was a great accomplishment because 12 years ago, we weren't even making speakers. Um, we bring the same vision exactly as Nick described it. Um, the same vision to um, our speakers that we do to our subwoofers, but our ultimate aspiration Jordan is to be uh, a reference audio brand, not a, not particularly a subwoofer brand. I will say it's a great question because the road is littered with the bodies of subwoofer companies that tried to become <laughs> speaker companies. And um, what we do, and it's because subwoofer engineers think they know everything about everything. And so they think they can design speakers. The reality was our subwoofer engineers do a phenomenal job designing subwoofers. And we brought in world-class uh, speaker engineers to design speakers. We didn't pretend we knew everything about everything. And that helped us a lot. The, and, and by the way, speaker engineers, just like subwoofer engineers or, or experts in those, um, they love the idea that their designs could be appreciated by new audiences. So they, they, it was almost like an escape from the conventional audio brands that were doing things kind of the same way. So it was it was it was um, really joyful to find people passionate about just as passionate about making great speakers as the people we had already that were passionate about making great subwoofers. And if, if I could tack on to that, I mean, I know uh, accessory talk must just get everyone riveted, but you know, we we make that's one of the fastest growing parts of our of our business now is our cables and our accessories, and we we really look at different solutions uh, that are going to help people just create a better performance out of their system, and you know, we've cultivated this this passionate community um, that just wants all SVS in their system. So, you know, if we're able to give them, you know, whether it's bulk speaker cable or if it's more premium high performance speaker cable or if it's HDMI or isolation systems that help reduce subwoofer rattle, like these are all solutions that people need. And why not give it from us with that same value proposition that, you know, we spoke about earlier when we, we started building subwoofers in a garage. Um, and that's really sort of been a mantra of ours in terms of product development is, is let's just make the best of whatever it is, you know, in, in terms of what it's uh, competing against within its class and beyond. And, uh, and we'll see where everything falls. It, and that kind of leads me to this idea. Like when I look at your product range right now, I'm seeing subs, I'm seeing a lot of passive speakers, uh, the new active stuff, and then some electronics and some of the accessories. I'm assuming you probably hired the people to design the electronics as well that are kind of outstanding in their field to get that going. Um, is there going to be more of an emphasis on active uh, speakers or do you still see passive systems as uh, going into the future as well? Everyone seems to be making like these small like active setups, uh, even so far as to like portable 
like singular speakers. Do you have any thoughts on that versus like versus the the passive systems, the bookshelf systems or the tower systems? Are they still going to be around in 20 years, would you say? Well, now 20 years, that's another thing. Uh, you know, it's hard <laughs> for me to say. I was going to say, look, they're they're side by side. Um, uh, I think I think a lot of the audiophile community has not embraced the um, active wireless speakers, except maybe as a you know, sort of a fun thing to have in a, in a room where they don't do serious listening. And this was something we wanted to address, actually, with our Prime Wireless Pro. We wanted to create a wireless powered experience that was worthy of serious listening. Um, but I, I, I think when you say 20 years from now, now you're really asking me to sort of prognosticate what the future holds. I, I, I don't know if um, these 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 boundaries between product categories in the audio space they they made sense 50 years ago and or 20 years ago they i think 20 years from now they're going to seem very arbitrary they're going to seem very like why do you need to have a separate component um but right now it's a necessity if you want to have uh the the highest performance in um two channel you're you're going to probably need separate components and if you want um a full multi-channel experience, Dolby Atmos, and so forth, you're going to need components. Um, that is a necessity today. You're asking me, in 20 years, will it be a necessity? <laughs> I would say very unlikely in 20 years it will be a necessity. Yeah. Just like uh, physical media, you know, people are, are, are so sad that Best Buy is no longer carrying physical media. You know, to me, it's like, you know, be sad about it raining outside. Then you just there's things you're not going to be able to stop. Um, and instead, we need to embrace the um, and what SVS stands for, and I think what Soundstage stands for is always convincing immersive experiences, regardless of the method of delivery. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so for example, if you're going to be streaming audio and video, let's 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 really agitate for the finest sound quality in those ways of enjoying music or movies or whatever it is. Yeah. That, and that's another interesting point because I've literally been hearing over the last maybe year or so that cassettes are making a comeback. Right. Uh, we know that. Or CD NA tracks. Like, do you think those are audiophiles? <laughs> Please. Well, and, and that's, there's, there's a, an element there where you have to imagine that that is people just trying to be nostalgic for nostalgia's sake. Like I, I haven't met anyone that argues for the quality of a, of a cassette tape versus a CD, let alone streaming or, or vinyl or anything like that. But there's Can I say of, something on that? Yeah, yeah, go. I have a buddy who, who, who reached out to me. I have several buddies my age and they're like, oh, my kids love vinyl. There's hope for the universe. Everyone is <laughs> embracing great sound. Guess what? Um, half the vinyl that was sold last year was sold to people that had no device in, to play it on. Yeah. Um, so I think you're 100% right. It's, it's a sort of a, uh, an accessory of sorts uh, to your fandom of whoever it is. Probably uh, someone with, you know, every Zoom for the last three weeks has involved Taylor Swift, so we might as well bring her up here. Yeah. Um, I think does she have a vinyl, record? Does she have a vinyl? I'm she assuming, does multicolored, yeah. She does multicolored vinyl releases. So oh, if no you're way. a true Swifty, you might buy 10 different colors of her release. Um, no way. Yeah, and and uh, you don't necessarily need a record player to play them because that's not why you bought them. It sits on a shelf and looks pretty. Yeah, this I I mean I could go on for for hours on that topic because I find it so fascinating um, 
how much conversation there is around the delivery medium. Uh, not necessarily the the end product, not necessarily the music per se, but it's like vinyl versus analog right. or vinyl versus uh, CD versus uh, streaming. Do you find that the the customers that you attract are into two channel analog systems? Are they more into home theater stuff? Like I think it's half and half. Nick, you that's a good one for you to take, and and you could also talk about your concept of the modern audiophile. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what a another reason I was so attracted to SVS is that they have this sort of diverse base of of listeners. And, you know, I think we do these live events and we get to interact face to face with a, a lot of them. And what strikes me a lot is how, again, diverse their tastes are. We have some folks who are, you know, they'll have a, a system in one room that's for two channel and listening to music, whatever their taste might be. But then they'll also have a, a smaller compact home theater system for gaming and just for watching Blu-rays and movies. And, and to me, that's the kind of person that we really need to, you know, cultivate as someone who can be sort of a third party spokesman for the industry because it's a person who appreciates first and foremost, great sound. And yet they understand that, you know, listening in two channel to certain types of music just brings out the best in it. Yet, you know, taking off the the cheap headphones that you're typically using to, to play video games on and, uh, and, you know, unleashing your 5.1.2 system with Atmos and with, you know, a subwoofer really gives you that sort of tactile, visceral experience that you just don't get from a pair of, of earphones. And so, you know, I think when we talk about who is our customer or who is the, the person who's really embracing SVS, it kind of spans all of that. And what we've tried to do is take that mentality. You know, I, I put a tag on it that I call the modern audiophile uh, because we don't want to have it limited to this narrow uh, bandwidth of humanity that, you know, unless you're willing to spend this much or unless you're willing to you know, embrace these certain brands, you're not considered an audiophile. We want it to be as broad a definition as possible that's rooted more in your appreciation for great sound, whatever your tastes might be. And then on top of that, what we really preach at these events is, you know what, this can be a social hobby. I think there's sort of this stigma with just the term audiophile where it's like, you're sitting alone in the sweet spot, you know, God forbid anyone touches the dials or settings and completely throws out a whack your system. Um, and, you know, I, I do advocate don't touch my system, but you can have <laughs> it be a social listening experience where, you know, you're letting people come you're engaging them based on content that they're passionate about. You're showing them specific content that you're passionate about that brings out the best in, say, your center channel or your subwoofer or your height effect speakers, you know, a true Dolby Atmos experience. And I think all of those things, you know, from our perspective, just help this hobby flourish and grow and bring more and younger people specifically into it. And uh, and so, you know, I don't want to say that it's any one person, but I would say there's, there's you know, multi-millionaires who embrace some of our uh, high-end subwoofers. And then there's people who save up for, for months and months, you know, paycheck to paycheck to buy, you know, what is our least expensive subwoofer. So, you know, that that's really gratifying that we're able to sort of serve both of those worlds in a way that, you know, makes them both super happy and, and uh, meets all their audio needs. Awesome. Thank you, Nick. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick little uh, break. And then when we come back, we'll dig into a little bit more about the engagement that you have with uh, your customers. Be back in just a moment.
And welcome back from the break. Now, one thing that I get the sense of from SBS, and uh, this was actually mentioned to me by uh, Doug Schneider, founder of Soundstage, uh, before this podcast, was the huge amount of engagement that SBS has directly with their customers. And Nick, everything that you were just saying, kind of, you had little hints of that throughout. And I just wanted to kind of ask was, was this from the get-go something that SVS really kind of pushed that like, engagement with their customers? Or is this something that you guys had to learn and kind of work on um, to kind of foster that direct communication with the, the folks that purchase your products? You know, that's a great question. And, you know, where I started from really, you know, was a place that embraced social media. And I feel like our industry as a whole was very slow to adopt sort of the direct interface that social media gives you with your community. Um, and so, you know, from from very early on, SVS was all about showcasing systems from real owners, telling their stories, you know, allowing them to be sort of pseudo, and I won't say spokespeople, because that almost makes it seem like a marketing relationship, which it really wasn't. It's more about letting their passion and joy of ownership shine through. And, you know, we're not so full of ourselves where we want to just sit on this ivory tower and say, you know, when you listen to SVS, you're hearing the voice of God. It's like, no, like, like, let's let the people who are, you know, watching a Blu-ray or streaming high-res music, let's let them tell us about their experience and then we'll broadcast that out because to me, that's much more compelling than, than us telling you how great our products sound. And so from that perspective, it was something that, you know, I think snowballed in the sense that we were really the only ones doing that sort of direct uh, storytelling with, with some of the, uh, you know, owners of our products. And then you share, you know, photographs and that creates questions about certain setups. Why did you choose this gear? And then I think the other side of this is how much emphasis we put on our, our customer support. And, you know, we call them the sound experts. And so a lot of what we're trying to do is also educate people and sort of demystify it and take some of the, uh, you know, notion that this is confusing and, you know, you have to have, X amount of budget, or you have to have a degree to wire the system together and, and get all the settings set up correctly. Uh, so all of those things sort of play off together, that sort of sense of infotainment where you're able to tell a story, you're able to educate people, um, but then you're also able to kind of show the passion and, and the enjoyment that people get out of uh, just listening to a great system. So I think all those things sort of came together in a way um, that really has just uh, served us really well and, and allowed... Uh, you know, our, our, what I guess you could call it marketing, but for me, it's just, again, sharing experiences. I mean, I would call that our DNA more than just marketing. I mean, it is Nick is VP of marketing, but reality is he's helping, you know, steer the, the total vision of the company. And, and, um, uh, reality is, you know, our, our roots are, as you pointed out, Jordan, uh, direct engagement of, of, uh, humans to our brand. Um, because we had no other way of doing it. We didn't have retailers that would do it for us. So we did it ourselves. And, um, you know, why wouldn't we be customer facing? I never understand brands that aren't. Um, but one of the challenges I will make with somebody who doesn't know me or doesn't know SBS, and I'll do it with you, Jordan. Think of your favorite speaker brand. And after the show, go on their website and see if you can figure out how to talk to them. Um, because in most cases, not all, but I'm going to say more than 90%, you will not be able to figure out how the heck to actually talk to them and um, have a conversation and engage with them. And to me, what a huge miss. It's kind of weird 
that our differentiating strategy is to be customer facing. You would think that would be normal, but it's a little bit abnormal. Generally speaking, the way that I feel about getting into hi-fi is that there is kind of these barriers to entry. And part of it is money when you look at some of the, the systems where like some of them are just so astronomically out of a reasonable price range that it's just not not reasonable to get in. It's like putting a Ferrari on the on the wall and and knowing that someday you'd love to own one, but chances are you probably won't, or the average person won't. So there's the the money cost entry. But Gary, you kind of also mentioned this a little bit where there's also um, like a, a knowledge cost entry. Uh, so getting into audio, you start hearing all these crazy terms. You start looking at uh, electronics and uh, um, like Ohm's law and all these other like very technical things. And one thing that uh, was pointed out by our producer, Dennis, was that SVS puts a huge amount of emphasis on the education side of things. And yeah, because it's not just technical things, Jordan. It's also nonsense. And if you don't believe the nonsense, then you just can't hear. That's yeah. the that's the audiophile narrative. Oh, you didn't hear the difference. I won't name what the thing is, yeah. whatever it is. Oh, you didn't hear network the network switches. Well, I, I can rip on network switches. All there you I, go. Oh yeah, <laughs> there's a, there was an there's an eleven hundred dollar Ethernet cable. You know, yeah. okay, <laughs> okay then. Um, but you know, but if you but Jordan, you didn't hear the difference of the eleven hundred dollar Ethernet cable, then you just can't hear. So you don't you're not qualified as an audiophile. So we actually, you know, we've been doing this a long time. Nobody can say to the seasoned people that are in our company that they don't know what they they're not audiophiles. They don't know what they're talking about. So we do try to. Uh, uh, destroy some of the nonsense that 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 is out there in the audiophile community, and and, and I think it does help people to trust their ears and um, tr- and believe in common sense. And although, uh, and and I don't think we alienate the audiophile community. By the way, I think um, for the most part we are embraced by the audiophile community, um, but we also because we take this approach as, as you described. We engage normal people to the idea of great sound. But do you find that attracts new customers or do you find that that kind of gives existing customers the ability to um, continue to purchase within your product line or can uh, like step up to new things? Um, I I think Nick can answer this, but I'll say one thing. We are a source of information for people that may never buy from us. That's kind of what I was getting at. And that's totally fine. We, you know, we, we are all about embracing great sound. We, you know, we actively don't do infomercials for lack of a better way of putting it. We try to put good knowledge out there. And if our stuff isn't the perfect choice for that person, they can discover that by, uh, um, uh, exploring our site and exploring the ways we deliver information. And they may actually discover there's a better alternative for them than SVS. Yeah, I, I would agree with everything you just said there and, and add to the fact that, you know, because we are so tightly woven together, you know, from a marketing standpoint and with our, our support team, we look for opportunities to educate people. And we we take some of those FAQs that are constantly coming in about, you know, can I match this subwoofer with this speaker to the point that we've actually built a tool on our site, which we call our ready for it, subwoofer matching tool. And, uh, you know, we're talking like 11,000 different 
brands and models of speakers here. You go on there, you enter your brand and model. Um, you know, it takes a, a set of parameters into account, and then it will recommend three different SVS subwoofer options as well as the proper settings to make it sound its best. And this is something that you know was built early on, and we've continued to update it because it's such a valuable tool for people who just, you know, I've never bought a subwoofer. Where do I start? And it's not, you know, it's not the scripture. It's not like this or nothing. But it does give people a little bit more confidence that, you know, this is an option for me. This is what I should, you know, continue researching. Um, you know, so there's one tool right there that was developed solely based on the idea that we don't, you don't necessarily have to own SVS speakers. In fact, we understand that the majority of you probably won't own SVS speakers, but subwoofers are a different animal. There's always going to be an SVS subwoofer to match with any brand or model of speaker. And that's what really you know, that's how that subwoofer matching tool was born. But then beyond that, well, you know, and then we there's have- a, there's a corollary to that, which is, um, speakers are so much a matter of personal taste, like not, not just personal taste and what they should sound like, but even what they should look like, how big they should be and all those kind of different things. That's one reason why there's a gajillion speaker companies and it's a very fragmented, um, uh, space. Um, but a subwoofer is different. A subwoofer is a very objective decision. And um, subwoofers don't have voicing per se, the way speakers do. So a, a good subwoofer needs to do five things really, really well. And if it does those five things well, I can rattle them off if you I, want. I would love to. Yeah, I have my, my pen ready. Love, I'm going to rattle curious. them off for you. Um, but if it does these five <laughs> things really well, then it's going to be the perfect match for, uh, for the speakers. Um, the five things are, uh, number one, low frequency extension, meaning, uh, extension beneath the, the threshold of audibility. That seems obvious, but most subwoofers in our price ranges don't do it. They exaggerate mid bass because they can't deliver the deepest bass beneath the threshold of audibility. Um, number two, they need to do it, um, at whatever sound pressure level, whatever volume the, the user wants. That seems obvious too, but because um, subwoofers in our general price ranges typically use amplifier limiting to protect the subwoofer, um, when the user cranks it up, they really want to have a moment of excitement. The speakers, they're dumb, they're passive, they're going to keep playing louder as loud as you tell them to. The subwoofer, however, the limiting will kick in and all of a sudden, where did the bass go? Third, they need to have accurate frequency response, in, in meaning deliver the frequencies in the exact proportion that was there in the source. Um, and, and then fourth, and this is an SVS hallmark, um, speed and transience. The subwoofer needs to be able to correspond to the movements in music or movies and move on a dime so that um, the pluck of a cello or the slamming of a door in a movie sounds like the real thing. Finally. Um, the subwoofer needs to seamlessly integrate with the, the full range speakers uh, it, because um, you don't want to listen to speakers and subwoofer. You want to listen to a total convincing, immersive experience. Um, and our subwoofers have uh, uh, our subwoofer control app, which has been lauded by lots of uh, folks in our, in our space because you can granularly adjust the subwoofer to match the full range speakers and create a seamless experience. Now, if it does those five things well, it's going to be a perfect match any brand or model of speakers. You know, okay. I think um, subwoofers got a bad name with the audiophile community because they, I think, you know, in, in the early days of subwoofers, they did more harm than good. They did deliver bass that the 
full range speakers were unable to deliver. That's good. Just muddy and kind of yeah, mixed they, in there. Yeah, they muddied up the sound and they and they made they did other things that were deleterious to the listening experience. So, um, but at this point, um, uh, SVS subwoofers, and we're not the only ones, but the you know the really finest subwoofers. Um, can keep up with the full range speakers of pretty much any quality. And now they're completing the sound experience. They're showing undertones in bass. They're showing um, things that you, that the uh, full range speakers, even some of the most expensive full range speakers are not capable of delivering. So I, I guess one kind of question that I, I just have that's kind of burning in my head. So um, we talked a little bit about how you have the direct uh, engagement with customers and you have a lot of the learning content out there and you have the different tools available. Um, what other stuff do you do? Or like, or it, there was some mention, I think, Nick, that you were saying like in-person meetups uh, and stuff like that. Is that particular to Ohio where you guys are based or is that uh, around? Is that kind of centered around the show schedules and, and all that? Or how... Um, local do you get with that education and that meetup stuff or is that more kind of uh, widely distributed um to kind of engage with different customers so this really started pre-covid we were doing um these dealer events where we'd go to retailers throughout the country we would set up systems uh, sometimes it would be around a product launch but sometimes it would just be around let's have some fun and, and bring some boots into the store and and show uh you know, show our retail partners how much energy we can bring to them. And it was phenomenal. Like we were shocked at how many people were showing up. It was, well, maybe not shocked, but we were just so like happy, pleasantly happy, surprised. And, you know, just like it was, it was sort of mind blowing to see the the level of turnout that we were able to generate um, to the point that, you know, these became events with, you know, full on catering. And, you know, we would sort of have this introductory session for about 30 minutes where we talk a little bit about the brand, intersperse a couple demos, you know, let people do a little Q and A. And we just, we just felt so much gratitude for from people who were like, I don't know of another brand who would ever do something like this, even outside of the audio industry that I'd actually want to show up for. Um, and then of course, we do a couple giveaways too, which is always nice to have some people leave with, with some door prizes, but we're getting hundreds of people at these stores. So uh, it was great for the, the relationships with some of our partners to see that, you know, they would write some business and it was, it was more about the engagement with our community though. These were never like, oh, 50% off sales if you come in today only. This was all about the content, you know, sharing a little bit of our stories, letting fellow audio files and home theater fans hang out together, you know, make some friendships. But we, I don't know, Gary, what have we hit like 40 states now, 30, 40 states, I think, you know, since, since we started doing these. And it and is then, interesting that we're like one of the few that does this or anything like this. And yet these are audio products and to be appreciated, they need to be experienced in the same physical space. <laughs> you would uh. think more people would think about doing this, but um, we definitely are. And, and we don't make it, uh, you know, I, 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 and Nick can, can testify to this. Uh, you, if anyone's been to our events, they're rarely that much about SVS in particular. They're more about great, having great sound in, in your living space, having great sound in your life and how to get there. Um, which a lot of people are just don't know. They don't realize how easy it is. Um, and so we try to break down those barriers. 
And then Jordan, uh, COVID hit and we started doing them virtually. We we started what's called our audiophile happy hour. And just last week we did our 70th audiophile happy hour. Wow. And it's a lot of a similar theme. You know, we'll have uh, just me, Gary, our director of technology, Ed Mullen, and our national training manager, Larry, just sort of riffing on what we've been listening to, music, movies. Um, we do what's called our lightning round Q&A, which is all about technical questions and, you know, people asking about settings on their AV receiver or which products to match with which or where should I place this Atmos speaker and just again providing that I, I guess I could call it external support um, where again we're trying to not do an infomercial try to educate people give a little bit of knowledge and there was just so much gratitude for that as well um, that we continue doing them post-COVID uh, to the point that you know again we, we've hit the uh, the 70th episode and you know we've had some phenomenal guests like DJ Jazzy Jeff you know who oh, wow. is a PB16 <laughs> Ultra owner we've had a major league baseball pitcher we've had uh, other musicians and producers from the Hollywood um, you know production world so uh, for me that these are some of the great joys that I take you know out of I'll call it doing my job but it's like you know the, the, I just love Love pulling people's passion out when they when they start talking about sound and, and we call it geeking out because it's like you're just sort of those worlds converging between work and passion and um, you know we really just try to have a, a good experience for people and, and share some knowledge and, and have our own fun at the same time. Yeah, I, I love that, and I think it's really it's an interesting take on marketing. Um, I'm I'm completely fascinated by the hi-fi marketing space because there is so much uh, variance in how people market in this industry. And a lot of it I find is um, stuck in some old ways. Uh, so it's really interesting seeing companies that do stuff completely differently and, and kind of uh, the success that they see with it. The old ways, you're being nice, I will be less nice. The old, <laughs> the, the old ways are um, celebrating the opacity of the market, meaning nobody knew what was best and what wasn't. And so for that reason, um, people were, uh, companies were drawn to create profit margin as the motivation for recommending their product. And, you know, you can see these in movies from like the eighties and nineties, and where if somebody goes into a stereo store, that was like the low, a stereo salesman was like the lowest form of life. They would, they would try to trick you into getting something that they made more money on. But, the, but we're in a very transparent marketplace circa 2023 and, and people appreciate real information to make real choices um, and, they, and they have very good BS detectors. So anyone locked in the past ends up not really doing well in this current environment. And companies like SVS that um, celebrate transparency and good information for people seem to be doing better. Um, so I know our time is short with uh, both you gentlemen. I have one last question that I ask, and this kind of uh, speaks to Nick's idea of geeking out a little bit um, for both of you. And we could start with either one. If you guys had to, to kind of give me a song uh, or a collection of songs that would be your soundtrack to your life, your daily plays or something that you listen to for pure enjoyment, what would they be? I mean, there's there's one album that I, I've listened to more than almost any other. It's a it's a punk collaboration album, or a, it's sort of a, a mash mishmash of different punk bands called uh, Survival of the Fattest. Yep. 
Um, and this was sort of a, a soundtrack to my early days. So I would take a couple tracks from that, mix in a little Outcast, uh, probably from Stankonia and AT Aliens, nice. uh, a couple Amy Winehouse tracks in there because I, I have this sort of like appreciation for sort of like old soulful singers. Um, and then I've always just been a huge fan of Stevie Wonder. Uh, so I throw a couple Stevie Wonder tracks in there too. Nice. And Gary? You know, I can't. It's very hard for me to pick one thing because I, I and Nick can tell you this. I, 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 I go to classical music. I go to metal. I, I do. I do hip hop. Um, but if I had to pick one thing that I, if I had to listen to for the rest of my life, it's probably the music of Bob Dylan. I mean, I and I, I you know, and he's still he's 83, I think, and he's still touring and we're going to see him in Baltimore in a. No in like way. a couple of weeks and uh, uh it, it's just he's just remarkable and the other reason why i love him is is uh he keeps reinventing himself and he's an old dude like um, i am and and uh, i i like th- you know a lot of what keeps svs fresh is the spirit of reinventing ourselves every day um so i use uh, dylan as an inspiration for doing that definitely some great tracks and uh I'm not going to lie. Part of that question is my own curiosity. And the other part is very selfish. I take all of these and then I add them to my playlist so that I have new, fresh music in my playlist every time we get a new guest on. So I appreciate uh, both you guys for jumping on and adding to my playlist. Awesome. My pleasure. I'll email you some uh, some deeper cuts too, Jordan, because uh, I have some other ones that I wasn't sure if I wanted to reveal here live on air. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you, gentlemen, uh, both of you for coming on and uh, look forward to chatting again in the future. Anytime. Our pleasure, Jordan. Thank you. This has been fun, Jordan. Thank you for making us feel so welcomed. All the best.